evangelization. In the first of these talks, I spoke about discipleship, and last night about holiness. Tonight, I'd like to talk about evangelization. The third essential element of Christian identity. Go and make disciples of all nations, Jesus said at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. To share the good news about Jesus Christ is an essential aspect of the life of a disciple who is trying to live a holy life. But what does it mean to evangelize? What does it mean in our modern world to be an evangelist? The very early disciples, after they had scattered, frightened, broken, disappointed, disillusioned after the death of Jesus, and they were in hiding because they were frightened and they thought that everything had collapsed. And then they experienced the resurrection. They saw and touched and knew Jesus in a new way. First, they didn't even recognize him. But when they understood and recognized his presence to them, and he didn't say anything to them. He didn't say, oh, you failed. You were bad disciples. He didn't rebuke them or reprove them in any way. He just showed himself to them. And as a result of that experience, they were transformed. They were filled with a new energy, new hope, new courage, and a new spirit of life, a new way of engaging with life, no longer controlled by fear, but by the overflowing quality of the good news that had touched their lives in the risen Christ. Remember I was in Africa some years ago and I was talking to a priest who had been a missionary there for many years. He said, you know, sometimes people rather romanticize the life of the villages here. He said, when the uh, night falls, the people in the villages are terrified by ghosts and dark forces and dark spirits, evil spirits. And their lives in general are often controlled by their fears of the evil eye and, and, and spells and magic. And he said that for him as a missionary, as an evangelist in that culture, which he loved and respected and had given his life there, he wasn't condemning these people, but he was saying that the greatest gift that the gospel can give them is to be free from fear to be filled with the hope and the love of the risen Christ and to see life without that dark force of fear and dread which otherwise controls us. So this is the good news, that we are able to live this life in a new way, free from fear, free to love, and filled with the joy of the presence of the one who said, I will be with you until the end of time. That's 
the good news? How do we share this good news? Well, imagine you are with a group of friends and somebody comes in and says, I've got some great news I want to share with you. And they said, oh, wonderful. Tell us, what's the good news? And then they said, well, first of all, you've got to promise me you'll go to church every day. Or you'll do this, or you'll do that. And then I'll tell you the good news. Well, it would rather take the edge <laughs> off the good news, wouldn't it? The good news, if it's good news, has to be shared unconditionally. You don't give it on conditions because it's there. You don't own it. It comes out of you. It overflows from you. And if you've really got good news, you want to share it freely and generously. We freely received, we freely share. How do we share it then today, especially? I was on a crowded train in London not long ago, in the rush hour. Just as the doors closed, somebody jumped into the carriage, just managed to get in before the doors closed. And he was holding a book, and the book was the Bible. As soon as the doors closed, he opened the Bible. He didn't hit people on the head with it, but he started to read from it in a very loud voice, shouting at the top of his voice. Now, this was London, remember, so the English were very embarrassed by that kind of behavior. So they all put their heads in their newspapers and pretended that nothing was happening. So he proclaimed the good news for about five minutes or so until we got to the next stop. And then he jumped out and went into the next carriage. And I thought, well, that's one way of proclaiming the good news. And I wouldn't condemn it. I don't think we should condemn any way in which anyone wants to share this good news, provided it's done with respect for the others. And then I thought, well, you never know. Although everybody was apparently not listening, maybe somebody was. Maybe one little verse from the Bible went into their ear and into their brain and into their heart, and maybe it began to germinate as a seed of faith. You never know. Nevertheless, I wouldn't say that was the ideal way of evangelization. I was also talking to a man once who had come to a very strong faith, and I asked him how he had come to our community and how he'd come to Christian faith. He told me he'd been sitting on a, a bus one day, and he was in deep depression and considering suicide. And two young women got into the bus of sitting just behind him and they were talking about their church and talking about what was happening in their church and which they obviously loved and they were very excited about and their joy and their energy their enthusiasm touched him he turned to them and said could you tell me something about what you're doing they told him and he got off the bus with them and they took him to the church and he found a, a warm and a kind community that welcomed him and helped him over the next few months 
to recover himself and to get out of his depression and his suicidal thoughts. And then he found that they were really quite a narrow-minded group of Christians. They were rather exclusive and they were, had lots of rules and regulations which he found rather repressive. So grateful for what they had given him, nevertheless, he said, I feel I have to deepen my faith somewhere else. So we must always remember, I think, that the Spirit can use any one of us, even with our faults, can use any church, even with its faults, to touch the lives and, and open the hearts of people. That reminds us that the, the real force of evangelization is not us, but the Holy Spirit. And it isn't our job to convert people. This is something I think we're more aware of now in the, in the 21st century. When Jesus says to go and make disciples of all nations and baptize them, there are deep levels of meaning in that. To evangelize does not mean to convert necessarily. Because that is really the work of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who converts us who works in us, what we can do is to create the conditions, to create loving and warm communities that welcome people, and above all, that we can witness to the good news and its effect upon our own lives in a way that engages and attracts others. So one Christian should never condemn another for their way of sharing the good news. Although sometimes it's hard not to shiver at what you hear. Some years ago I was in Singapore and I was asked to speak with a private group of Pentecostal Christians, one of whom had shown a real interest in meditation. So he had invited me to speak to a group of his friends. We'd gathered in his home. I spoke and I showed them a little video of our work and on that video there was a short clip of a dialogue that I'd had with the Dalai Lama. But as soon as they saw me with the Dalai Lama, one couple there just froze, absolutely froze. And I could tell they did not approve of this. Later, they said in the conversation that dialogue was non-Christian. It's not Christian to dialogue, because if you dialogue with a Buddhist or a Taoist or a Jew or whatever, if you dialogue with someone of another faith, you are implying that they have some kind of equal right to respect. But we have the truth. We have the truth. And we can give them the truth, but we can't dialogue with them. Well, I've heard that before. I've heard it from fundamentalist uh, Muslims and fundamentalist Jews. But it's very sad to hear it from a fundamentalist Christian. I don't think that's what Jesus meant when he told us to go out and share the good news with all nations. And during the meditation period, they, this couple sort of refused to meditate. They just turned the, 
pages of their Bible very loudly, making a point. And so after the meditation, they started asking rather hostile questions. Is meditation really Christian and things like that? And how could we be in dialogue with pagans? So I tried to respond as kindly as I could. And then I said to them, well, imagine a farmer in the middle of China who was a good man, did his work, raised his family well, came to the help of his neighbors when they were in trouble, was a kind and caring, decent man. And he had never heard of Christ. He had never met a Christian. And he dies. And he goes to the gates of heaven. I said, do you really think that Jesus would refuse him entry? And they said, yes. And suddenly this cold wind came into the room. <laughs> and it was not the wind of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and even their friends kind of shivered at this kind of hardness of heart and lack of generosity. Not what you would think Jesus would be like. So, there are many ways of, of sharing or, or witnessing to the good news. Certainly, if we want to spread the gospel, we must look like it. We must act like it as best we can. And one of the important ways of doing that is not to pretend to be better than you are. Not to pretend to have an answer to everything. Not to pretend to be perfect. But to be yourself, to admit your mistakes. But, as I was saying in the talk on discipleship, we are meant to be disciples who are other Christs. St. John says, we do not know what we will be like at the end. But we do know that we will be like him because we shall see him as he truly is. We shall be like him because we shall see him as he truly is. So the degree to which we see him is the degree to which we become like him. And that begins now. It begins in this life. And I'd like to ask you to think about how important our prayer is to this experience of seeing the risen Christ and being filled with that power of his spirit lifted above our fears and given the courage to live our lives in him and by that to share the good news. We have to discover his holiness in ourselves transforming us into his likeness. There's a story of Gandhi when he was studying at Oxford or as a student and he had been deeply moved by his reading of the gospel. He was studying it and he was reflecting on it and feeling drawn in some way to the spirit of the gospel. One day he went out for a walk and he came across a little English village church and he thought he would go into the church and pray. 
And as he was just opening the door of the church, the vicar appeared and with a very hostile look. And he said to Gandhi, are you a Christian? And Gandhi said, uh, no, sir, I'm not. And the vicar said, well, you can't come in here. Imagine what a different world it might have been if he had said, of course you can come in here. This is the house of God. You're most welcome. If he'd been more Christ-like in his welcome to Gandhi. We need to be filled with wonder if we are to communicate the good news. And that wonder doesn't come primarily from reading or listening to talks. It comes primarily from an interior experience. Just as those early Christian disciples were filled with the experience of the risen Christ and went out, each of them laying down their lives to proclaim the good news around the world, so we ourselves, by that interior discovery of Christ within us, become filled with the same wonder and energy of generosity. We're not trying to convert. You know, if you try to convert everybody you meet, you're a bit like a, a man or a woman who is desperate to get married. Everyone you meet at every party or at every dinner or at every... Pretty well picks up quickly that that's what is in your mind. And, of course, scares them away. We need to find the best way in the circumstances, with the people we're with, with the kind of audience we are with, to explain why we are disciples and what a holy life really means.